As Monty said, what a beautiful day. It is to be in the house of the Lord, to worship him. Most of the Western civilization is celebrating today the resurrection of our Savior. You and I, as Monty said, we think of that sacrifice on the cross every Sunday. And we celebrate the fact that we are Christians, that we are sons and daughters of God because he was raised from the grave. If you're a visitor with us, thank you for being here. I hope you'll find that the things I have to say are accordance to God's will because that is my desire. For your information, we have been going through a study in the scriptures dealing with what it is to be a Christian, what it is to have salvation, what it is the basic doctrine of the gospel. And each one of us that speak have a designated topic. It so happens that two months ago, my topic was faith, which was perfect because it fits very good into this lesson that we have now, which is to add to your faith, to add to our faith that which we need as Christians. And in Second Peter, as Riley read, thank you, Riley, we find here a list of things that are tools to living a Christian life. Now, in the past, for the most part, we've talked about the gospel and the basics thereof and what it means to be saved and how we are to get saved and how we are to have our sins forgiven. This lesson is for Christians. This lesson is for those of us that have answered the gospel and done those steps. So, Second Peter here, the writer in Peter, Peter said, all these things, it has to do with the tools of living a Christian life. What it takes to be a good and strong Christian. What we find here is to be strong in faith, to be knowledgeable of God's will, to be in control of one's actions, to be patient, perseverance, be God-like, be kind to others, be abundant in love. That's what Peter is telling us to do. In Ephesians, the second chapter, starting the first verse, it says, And you he made alive through the gospel, who were dead in trespasses and sin. We were dead to God because of our sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and the power of the air, the devil, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. He said, mankind is a sinning person. We sin, and we can be directed by the devil and by those things that are evil in the world, the spirit of the air, he, he mentions it here. But you and I are made alive through Jesus Christ, that we don't have to do that anymore, and we don't need to do that anymore. In Colossians, the first chapter, the 21st verse, and you which were alienated and enemies, we were away from God, an enemy to God, in your mind by wicked works. Yet now he has reconciled you. He has brought us together in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. If indeed you continue in the faith, grounded and steadfast and are not moved away from the hope of the gospel which you've heard. The lesson this morning has to do with how we stay grounded in the faith, how we keep the faith so that we have the hope of the gospel. So Peter says there, he says, add to your faith virtue. We're going to do a couple of word studies here this morning. It's not my favorite thing to do, but I think it is really important on the next two words. 
For virtue is not the modern definition that we define as virtue. For we find in the Greek word, Strong's 701, the Greek word is arete, it's probably not right either, but there it is on the screen, that we find that virtue is not what we think of as a modern term, but it is to be manly. Now, that's not sexist. It's to be strong, to have valor, to have faith, to be courageous, have excellence. That's what the, the word that's translated virtue means in the Greek, to be strong. When you look at the virtuous woman, remember back in the Old Testament? Now, I realize this is Hebrew, not Greek, but it is a word that's translated there, virtue, the virtuous woman that we find in Proverbs. It's Strong's 24, 28. It means to have wealth. It means to have valor, courage. It means to have strength. It means to be capable. Well, we think of the virtuous woman and how wonderful that woman was, but if you look at it from this definition, was she a strong woman? Sure she was. She had her own business, which I'm sure was uncommon in those days. She took care of her family. They were supplied with everything they need. And because of her, her husband was well thought of. So when you talk about the virtuous woman, talk of the woman who's strong and courageous and capable. That makes a lot more sense when you use that definition when you look at 2 Peter, the third verse there. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. Called us by glory and power. He called us through his power to have our sins forgiven by glory and power. That makes sense. And now when we look at add to your faith virtue, it says, but also for this very reason, giving all diligence. We're going to talk about diligence two or three times in the lesson this morning. Diligence to have strong resolve, to study, to be focused. Add to your faith virtue. Add to your faith strength. Have a strong faith. Have a faith that is courageous, that has valor. You and I, our faith, if it's weak, is not very useful. So Peter says, add to your faith strength, courage, virtue. 1 Corinthians 16 and 13, watch, steadfast in the, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Our faith needs us to be strong and not weak. I promise you, this is the last word study we're going to do this morning, and that's on knowledge. So he says to virtue, to that strength, add knowledge. Now, in this 11 verses that we read here about knowledge, there are two words in the Greek that in English are translated knowledge, and they have a little bit, <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit different meaning. Strong's 1922 says, uh, when you talk about knowledge, it's to acknowledge full discernment or recognition. So when you look at, again, Second Peter, the second verse there, that first chapter, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God, and of Jesus our Lord, as his divine power has given to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us. Now think about this. Back in the early church, we had the Hebrew brethren, the Jews that were converted. And then we had a lot of Gentiles that for the most part were pagan. They had many gods. This knowledge says you need to know who God is. The Jews understood who God was. They had had the Old Testament and the history of the Jews of a single God and the God, their God. But the Gentiles didn't. And this knowledge is you need to know God. You need to know who he is. You need to know who Jesus Christ was, the Son of God. That was a new concept to the, to the Gentiles. There's not many gods. There's just one. And you need to know who that is. And that's Strong's 1922. 
Strong's 1108 is, a di is, is also translated as knowledge, but it means to understand in depth, to know. Let me give you an example. Let's say, fictitiously, that we went back to 1800 and we got somebody on the street and we were able to bring him up to today and we went out here to Holbert and stood out there and said, those are cars. Well, he'd never seen a car before, but he could see different colors, different shapes, different, but he understood, okay, that's a car. Now, he was blown away when he saw a semi and we didn't call that a car, but anyway, he could say that. He says, in general, I know what a car is never seen one before but then we say okay we're going to put you into a trade school for two years and you're going to become a mechanic and you're going to work on cars well what kind of knowledge is that that's not the knowledge that i know it's a car it's not the knowledge that i know there is a god no it's the knowledge the inner working it's to understand in depth to know and that's this kind of knowledge and that's the kind of knowledge that we find in the fifth verse but also to this very reason giving all diligence Add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge, in-depth understanding of who God and Jesus Christ is. I dare say you could go out on the street here in Pampa, Texas, and you'd find a lot of people that would tell you, yes, I believe there's a God. And you'll find a lot of people that say, yes, I believe that, there, that Jesus Christ existed. He is the Son of God. But then you ask them, like, why do you believe that? They don't have any in-depth knowledge. They don't understand. They have that knowledge of just knowing what it is but not knowledge of in-depth of what it means for us to understand God and his son. Here's this word diligent again in 2 Timothy 2 and 15. Be diligent, be focused, work hard at to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay, so where are we going to get this knowledge? We're going to get this knowledge by reading his word. We're going to get this knowledge by understanding what's in the Scripture. The Apostle Paul to the Hebrew brethren, he was chastising them because they weren't growing in faith. They weren't maturing. Instead, they were staying babes. He says, for everyone who partakes only of the milk is unskilled of the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Today, in this world, the devil is convincing people that there's a gray line between good and And that gray line is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Brothers and sisters in Christ, there's not a gray line. It's good or it's evil. And the only way that you and I can discern and know that is to work at it, to understand the scriptures, to exercise our senses so we can recognize what is good and what is evil. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, we find there where... If you go back there and read in the fourth chapter, you'll see where the Apostle Paul said there's some apostles, some disciples, some preachers and teachers, and so on. And they were put together by God till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man or a mature man, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, so that we can be mature and that we can stand up and try to be like Christ, the statue of Christ, statue of Christ. And then he says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. We need to understand the scriptures and we need to study the scriptures so that we aren't tossed to and fro when someone comes along and preaches something that's not the gospel. That preaches something that's not there. 
no matter how good it sounds, no matter how crafty it is, but you and I need to be mature and understand what is right and what is not of God's word. As we move on to knowledge, we add temperance or self-control as in the New King James. To have self-control of our thoughts and our bodies. In Colossians 3, it says in the fifth verse, Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanliness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of the disobedient to which you yourself once walked when you lived in them. One of the things that the Apostle Paul stressed over and over is that we all were there. We can't have proud. We can't look at that person and say, well, he's still in sin because we were in sin. We did these things. He says, let's don't do them anymore. Let's put them to death. Let's not have them so that we're not like that. He continues by saying, but now you yourselves are to put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. We need to put these things off. We need to get rid of these. These were the old man. And he said these were the deeds of the old man. And he says we need to put on the new man that's renewed in knowledge. Where did that knowledge come from? Study of the scriptures. According to the image of him who created us. We need to be like God. He's going to talk about that here. We need to be like the image of him who created us. In James, the first chapter, in the 21st verse there, it says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If any, For if any is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in the mirror, And he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. Now, on purpose, when I look in the mirror and leave, I don't want to know what I look like anymore. Because I've seen it, and it's not pretty. But that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about looking into the mirror, our souls, and then forgetting what we thought we were. He goes on to say, But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, what is the perfect law of liberty? The scriptures. And continues in it. And is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the word. This one will be blessed in what he does. In other words, we need to look into the scriptures and we need to be in them. We need to know them and we need to continue in them. And then he gives an example. If any among you think he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, that one's religion is useless. The King James Version says, is in vain. We often use this when speaking from the pulpit about keeping your mouth clean, and what your tongue can say. But let me tell you, it's an example because we could put these words in there. We, say, we could say, if we have anger with wrath or with malice or wanting to uh, revenge, if we put that in there instead of our controlling our tongues, it's the same thing. Our religion is vain. If we're going to lie and do it and not care, our religion is in vain. All of these things are the things that's not just the tongue. It's not just saying something filthy out of the mouth or saying something that insults somebody. It's the fact that we need not to have any of these things of the old man in us, and we need to get rid of them. Let's move on from self-control to perseverance, which is patience. Hard thing for me to have is patience. 
In Hebrews, the sixth verse there, Paul said, But, beloved, we are confident of better things according to you. Yes, things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. For God is not unjust to forget your works and labor of love which you have shown towards his name in that he has ministered to the saints and do minister. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence, there's that word again, strong work ethic, to the full assurance of hope until the end. What is the assurance of hope to the end? It's salvation. It's a home in heaven that you do not become sluggish but, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promise. He said, you know, God's not one to forget the good things you've done, but he expects you to do them to the end. He expects us to work towards the end. He he expects us to have faith, and in that faith there has to be patience. For things in this life are not going to be easy, but we don't want to give up because we want that home in heaven. We want to stay in God's grace until the end. 1 Thessalonians, the first chapter, Apostle Paul said, We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. In the sight of our God and Father, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God. He said, because you have answered the gospel, because you have done that, you need to have the patience and the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ, his resurrection, and the fact that if we stay faithful with patience, we will inherit that home in heaven. He continues in the fifth verse by saying, Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Have you ever thought about how much patience Christ had? Those disciples, they just didn't get it most of the time. We can read in in the Gospels, and they didn't understand at all about what he was trying to teach them. But he didn't give up. He had a lot of patience. He had a lot of patience with the crowds. They were shoving and pushing so that they could get healed. No, we need to have that kind of patience. We need to have patience with each other. We need to have patience with ourselves that we can be like Christ. He says to patience, add godliness. Now, I wrote down some characteristics here of God, and there are others. But righteous, be righteous, be merciful. God is a merciful God. He's a patient God. He's a forgiving God. He's a loving God. Now, two of the ones that I didn't put on here is he's a judging God, and he's a God of vengeance. But you know what? It seems like mankind wants to do those two. We want to judge people, and we want to give vengeance. And those are the two, as a Christian, we don't want to do. Instead, we want to do some of these others. We need to try to be godlike, to be merciful, patient, forgiving, loving, as God was. How could you be more loving than we find in Romans 5th chapter, but God demonstrate his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. You and I do not deserve eternal life, but God sent his son because he loved us, that he allowed him to die, and that that sacrifice and that blood cleanses us, that we don't have to stand before the wrath of God. That's love. So when we find in Second Peter, the third chapter there, in the third chapter, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, as some men, some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's patience. He's been really patient with mankind. We need to have that kind of patience. We need the godliness that we see in God and his patience. I like Ephesians, the fifth chapter. 
Ephesians, the fifth chapter, in the first verse says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. We don't want to be gods. We're not gods, but we need to imitate those things that God has shown us that he is like because we want to be like that. We want to imitate God and walk in love as Christ also has loved us and give himself for us and offering a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. We want to walk in love as Christ walked in love. We want to imitate God, our Father, because his characteristics are what we want and need to please him. To godliness, it says, add brotherly kindness. Okay, brotherly kindness. Do you think that the Apostle Paul could write a letter about the Pampa congregation and say these words that he said to the Thessalonians? Think about it. Thessalonians 4 and 9 says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. And indeed you do so towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, that you increase more and more. Is our reputation of this congregation throughout the panhandle of Texas and the other churches that we are a congregation of brotherly love? Could Paul write that about us? I hope so. But not only that, it doesn't make any difference. He told these brethren here, it doesn't make any difference how good you're doing. You need to do better. You need to work at it. You need to increase the more and more. We need to have love for each other. Brotherly kindness or brotherly love. Colossians 3 and 12, it says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another, if anyone hath a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Humility is one of the problems. We need to have tender mercy. We need to be long-suffering. You know, my experiences in life, and I've been around 73 years, is completely different than someone else. And what I think may or may not, you may not agree with. We all have different experiences. We all have different things we have learned in our lives. But because of those things, is that causing us to have strife? It shouldn't. We need to bear with one another. We need to understand that there are differences. We need to understand with the meekness and humility that I might be wrong. I've only been that way once or twice, and that's because I thought I was wrong, right? We can be wrong. So we need to be careful that we don't get upset when someone doesn't agree exactly what we agree with. We need to get together. We in love. We need to understand what each one of us is saying. We need to have long-suffering for each other, and we need to forgive one. And he said, you know, you need, if you got a complaint, don't you think Christ had a complaint? When he was hanging on the cross, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If he can forgive them, then you and I must be able to forgive each other. How not could we say that we are mature Christians if we can't get along? And then to brotherly kindness or brotherly love, add love, love. We all know 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, is used in essentially every wedding. But though I speak with the tongue of men and angels but have not love, I have become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burnt but have not love, it profiteth me nothing. Now this kind of love, and we've studied it in the past, this is godly love. This is love that never fails. It's God's love. And he said, if we don't have that kind of love, then anything else we do doesn't profit us anything. After some more discussion about love in the 13th verse, it says, And now abide a faith, hope, and love. These, these three, but the greatest of these is love. We need love. 
It's important as a mature Christian to have love. Be strong in our faith. Be knowledgeable of God's will. Be in control of one's actions. Be patient. Be godlike. Be kind to others. Be abundant in love. That's what Peter is saying. As we close our lesson, I want you to think about this in the coming week. It may be tomorrow. It may be next week, next month. As long as we live that long and God allows us to be that long, there's going to be a time that we are not, we're going to fail. We're going to miss the mark. You know why I know that? Because we're not perfect. You know why I know that? Because I've sinned and I know you have sinned. But we need to be diligent in our work on these things so that we're strong. Because, you know, there's going to be times that I'm going to say something I wished I hadn't said or thought something I wished I hadn't thought or did something I shouldn't have done or insulted somebody. I shouldn't have had anger with malice on somebody. I wanted to get them. That's just human nature. But God and his wisdom and mercy sent his son and set up a plan so that through repentance, we can ask for forgiveness. You and I as Christians, mature Christians, aren't going to be perfect and we're going to fall down. But that doesn't mean it's over with. That just means we need to go towards God and through his son and say, forgive me, I need to do better. But we need to be mature Christians. We need to have these virtues, have these traits in our life. We finish with a parallel scripture in Galatians 5, 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desire. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let's not have a religion that's worthless. or in No, let's have a religion, a, a Christian life that we're proud of because we're doing the best we can and we're diligent in our work thereof. That is the lesson of the morning. It's a lesson that's been for the Christians that are already Christians, but we want to offer an invitation because, you know, you can start your life as a new person. You can have your sins forgiven. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God and you're willing to confess that, to repent of your sins and be washed with, ba- in this, in, with baptism, to wash away your sins, you can be a new creature and you can start working on, be diligent on these things that Peter says we got to have if we're going to be mature Christians. If there's someone subject to the gospel call, we ask you to come as we stand and sing song selected.